Section 24 of the History of Lady Julia Mandeville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jadopi. The History of Lady Julia Mandeville by Francis Brooke. Section 24. Epistle Lady. To Lady Anne Wilmot. Before I absolutely accept or refuse your ladyship's generous invitation, allow me to account to you for my being in a place where you so little expected to find me, but which I am convinced you will acquiesce in my continuing in, when you know the motives which induced me to make choice of it. When my uncle married your ladyship, you remember he left me in a convent at Paris, where I stayed till his death. I should then have returned, but having contracted a very great friendship for a young lady of the first quality in England, she pressed me to continue there till her return, which was fixed for the year following. About three months before we intended to leave Paris, her brother arrived, on which occasion she left the convent and went to spend her remaining time with an aunt, who then resided in France and who, being told I had stayed the last year in complaisance to her amiable niece, insisted on my accompanying her. To spare a long narrative of common events, the brother of my friend became passionately in love with me, and I was so unhappy as to be too sensible to his tenderness. He entreated me to conceal our attachment from his sister, for the present, professed the most honourable designs, told me he did not doubt of bringing his father to consent to a marriage to which there could be no objection that was not founded in the most sordid avarice and on which the happiness of his life depended. The time of our intended return to England drawing near, he employed, and successfully, the power he had over my heart to influence my acceptance of an invitation given me by a friend of my mother's, to accompany her to Florence, where I promised to stay till his return from Rome. Too much in love, as he said, and I weakly believed, to support a longer absence, he came in a few months to Florence. We were then in the country with a Florentine nobleman, whose lady was related to my friend, to whom he was strongly recommended, and who gave him an invitation to his villa, which I need not tell you he accepted. We saw each other continually, but under a restraint, which, whilst it increased our mutual passion, was equally painful to both. At length he contrived to give me a letter, pressing me to see him alone in the garden, at an hour he mentioned. I went, and found the most beloved of men, waiting for me in a grove of oranges. He saw me at a distance, I stopped by an involuntary impulse, he ran to me, he approached me with a transport which left me no room to doubt of his affection. After an hour spent in vows of everlasting love, he pressed me to marry him privately, which I refused, with an air of firmness but little suited to the state of my heart, and protested no consideration should ever induce me to give him my hand without the consent of his father. He expressed great resentment of a resolution which he affirmed was inconsistent with a real passion, pretended jealousy of a young nobleman in the house, 
and artfully hinted at returning immediately to England. Then, softening his voice, implored my compassion, vowed he could not live without me, and so varied his behavior from rage to the most seducing softness that the fear of displeasing him, who was dearer to me than life, assisted by the tender persuasive eloquence of well-dissembled love, so far prevailed over the dictates of reason and strict honor, that, unable to resist his despair, I consented to a clandestine marriage. I then insisted on returning immediately to the house, to which he consented, though unwillingly. And leaving me with all the exulting raptures of successful love, went to Florence to prepare a priest to unite us, promising to return with him in the morning. The next day passed, and the next, without my hearing of him, a whole week elapsed in the same manner. Convinced of his affection, my fears were all for his safety. My imagination presented danger in every form, and no longer able to support the terrors of my mind, filled with a thousand dreadful ideas, I sent a servant to inquire for him at the house where he lodged, who brought me word he had left Florence the very morning on which I expected his return. Those only who have loved, like me, can conceive what I felt at this news. But judge into what an abyss of misery I was plunged, on receiving a few hours after a letter from his sister, pressing me to return to her at Paris, where she was still waiting, in compliance with order from home for her brother, who was to accompany her to England directly, to marry an heiress for whom he had been long intended by his father. She added that I must not lose a moment, for that her brother would, before I could receive the letter, be on the road to Paris. Rage, love, pride, resentment, indignation, now tore my bosom alternately. After a conflict of different passions, I determined on forgetting my unworthy lover, whose neglect appeared to me the contemptible insolence of superior fortune. I left the place the next day, as if for Paris, but taking the nearest way to England, came hither to a clergyman's widow, who had been a friend of my mother's, to whom I told my story, and with whom I determined to stay concealed, till I heard the fate of my lover. I made a solemn vow, in the first heat of my resentment, never to write to him, or let him know my retreat, and though with infinite difficulty I have hitherto kept it. But what have I not suffered for this conduct, which, though my reason dictates, my heart condemns? A thousand times have I been on the point of discovering myself to him, and at least giving him an opportunity of vindicating himself. I accused myself of injustice in condemning him unheard, and on appearances which might be false. So weak is a heart in love, that though, when I chose my place of retreat, I was ignorant of that circumstance, it was with pleasure, though a pleasure I endeavored to hide from myself, that I heard it was only ten miles from his father's seat. I ought certainly to have changed it on this knowledge, but find a thousand plausible reasons to the contrary, and a but too successful in deceiving myself." Conceived of the propriety of my conduct in avoiding him, I am not the more happy. My heart betrays me, 
and represents him continually to my imagination in the most amiable light, as a faithful lover, injured by my suspicions, and made wretched by my loss. Torn by sentiments which vary every moment, the struggles of my soul have impaired my health, and will in time put an end to a life, to the continuance of which, without him, I am perfectly indifferent. Determined, however, to persist in a conduct which, whatever I suffer from it, is certainly my duty, I cannot, as I hear he is returned, consent to come to Belmont, where it is scarce possible I should fail meeting a man of his rank, who must undoubtedly be of Lord Belmont's acquaintance. Till he is married, or I am convinced I have injured him, I will not leave this retreat. At least I will not appear where I am almost certain of meeting him whom I ought forever to avoid. Oh, Lady Anne, how severe is this trial! How painful the conquest over the sweetest affections of the human heart! How mortifying to love an object which one has ceased to esteem! Convinced of his unworthiness, my passion remains the same, nor will ever cease but with life. I at once despise and adore him. Yes, my tenderness is, if possible, more lively than ever, and though he has doomed me to misery, I would die to contribute to his happiness. You, madam, will, I know, pity and forgive the inconsistencies of a heart ashamed of its own weaknesses, yet too sincere to disguise or palliate them. I am no stranger to your nobleness of sentiment. In your friendship and compassion all my hopes of tranquillity are founded. I will endeavor to conquer this ill-placed prepossession, and render myself more worthy your esteem. If his marriage with another makes it impossible for him to suppose, I throw myself designedly in his way. I will go with you to town in the winter, and try if the hurry of the world can erase his image from my bosom. If he continues, unconnected, and no accident clears up to me his conduct, I will continue where I am, and forever hide my folly in this retreat. I am N.C. A. Hastings. Poor Belle, how I pity her! Heaven certainly means love for our reward in another world. It so seldom makes it happy in this. But why do we blame Heaven? It is our own prejudices, our rage for wealth, our cowardly compliance with the absurd opinions of others which robs us of all the real happiness of life. I should be glad to know who this despicable fellow is, though really it is possible she may injure him. I must know his name, and find out whether or not she is torturing herself without reason. If he bears scrutinizing, our plans may coincide, and my jointure make us all happy. If not, he shall have the mortification of knowing she has an easy fortune, and of seeing her, what it shall be my business to make her next winter, one of the most fashionable women and celebrated toasts about town. After all, are we not a little in the machine style, not to be able to withdraw our love when our esteem is at an end? I suppose one might find a philosophical reason for this in Newton's laws of attraction, the heart of a woman does, I imagine, naturally gravitate towards a handsome, well-dressed, well-bred fellow, without inquiry into his mental qualities. Nay, as to that, do not let me be partial to you odious men. 
You have as little taste for mere internal charms as the lightest coquette in town. You talk sometimes of the beauties of the mind, but I should be glad, as somebody has said very well, to see one of you in love with a mind of threescore. I am really sorry for Belle, but hope to bring her out of these heroics by Christmas. The town air, and being followed five or six weeks as a beauty, will do wonders. I know no specific for a love fit like a constant round of pretty fellows. The world, I dare say, will soon restore her to her senses. It is impossible she should ever regain them in a lonely village, with no company but an old woman. How dearly we love to nurse up our follies! Belle, I dare say, fancies vast merit in this romantic constancy to a man who, if he knew her absurdity, would laugh at it. I have no patience with my own sex, for their want of spirit. Friday night. Oh, heavens! Who could have thought it? Of all the birds in the air, find me out Lord Melvin for Belle Hastings' lover. Nothing was ever so charming. To tell the story, which does his business here in a moment, serves my lovely Harry, and punishes the wretch's infidelity as it deserves. Adieu, I fly to communicate. Saturday morning. All this is very strange to me. Lord Belmont, to whom I last night mentioned Lord Melvin's connection with Belle, as a reason against his marrying Lady Julia, assures me no such thing was ever intended that he was amazed how I came to think so, that Lord Rochdale has other views for his son, to which, however, he is adverse. I am glad to hear this last circumstance, and hope Belle has wronged him by her suspicions. But who can this be that is intended for Lady Julia? I do not love to be impertinent, but my curiosity is rather excited. I shall not sleep till I am in this secret. I must follow my lord about till I get a clue to direct me. How shall I begin the attack? Really, my lord, says I, this surprises me extremely. I could have sworn Lord Melvin was the person your lordship meant. If it is not him, who can it be? Yes, this will do. I will go to him directly. Cruel man! How he plays with my anxiety! He has gone out in the post-chaise with Lady Julia. The chaise drove from the door this moment. I can say not a word more. I am on the rack of expectation. I could not be more anxious about a lover of my own. The hear of an earldom, and of an affluent fortune. I have tortured my brain this hour, and not a scruple the nearer. Adieu. End of section 24 Recording by Jadopi www.publicdomainaudiobooks.blogspot.com